0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to Speaking with Joy. Today, you are seated with me on the front stoop of my flat, where I'm enjoying a beautiful, sunshiny spring day. Actually, that's not entirely true. It was much sunnier this morning when I first set out. And when I decided to record this podcast, even though I know it'll be a bit louder and perhaps distracting, I wanted to record it with you in the spring and in the sunshine, where you can hear my laughing seagulls and my singing wrens. It's been from this little concrete stoop that I have watched spring come. And it's from this little place that I have felt such a freedom in a time that feels so constricted. I've been struck as I sit here and watch my apple trees start to blossom and um, the little buds of different flowers come up in my untended garden that spring goes on and summer and winter turns on despite the rest of the world, despite the human world coming to a standstill. And to me there's such a comfort in that. There's a comfort in knowing that even as we are all kind of in crisis and in in this kind of standstill, there is this beauty, these rhythms of nature that do not stop. I think of the passage in Genesis after the flood when God establishes a covenant with Noah and he says for as long as the earth shall endure winter and springtime uh, summer and harvest will go on and that we're meant to look at these seasons as they pass as This kind of promise of God's ongoing grace even in the midst of all of the bizarre things humans find themselves doing and suffering and so for this episode of the escape cast I wanted to invite you to escape with me into spring Um, into this season that goes on even as human events um, are in turmoil. And to do that, I am going to read you three of my favorite springtime poems, and also more specifically a Maytime poem, because I also have a particular love for the month of May. This is partially because my birthday is in May. It's on May 26th, along with my dad's, who is at the beginning of May, and my sister Sarah's, who is on May 21st. So it's month of celebration for us. But I also just love it because it's that wonderful moving in between spring and summer when it's properly warm and beautiful, but it's not hot yet. And when, as one of my friends would say, it's the most interesting. Um, It's when everything is beginning to bloom and blossom and everything is coming up and new and um, it's not overgrown yet. So I'm so excited to share my springtime poems with you too. I should also say that this I think that this episode is is sponsored by my neighbor, who, after watching me sit on my front stoop day after day uh, on the concrete, gave me her, uh, they had a spare lawn chair. And so now I feel like I'm in great luxury, as I have my very own reclining lawn chair to enjoy as I do this podcast with you all. If I stop, I bet you can hear some birds. And I hope that that will be a delight to you um, and not too much of a distraction. So today, let's go ahead and dive into this this week's three beautiful springtime poems. I'm going to read you I Thank You, God um, by E.E. Cummings, The May Magnificat by Gerard Manley Hopkins, and Today by Billy Collins. I hope it will set you in a springtime mood and inspire you to go on your daily exercise outing and walk and see all the loveliness. And I would also love to know uh, what your favorite springtime poems and music and stories are. So if you have any poems that you love, please uh, let me know either through the contact form of my website or commenting on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever. I would love to know how you celebrate the coming on of spring. So without further ado, let me begin with my first favorite springtime poem. This one is very special to me. This is I Thank You, God, by E. e. Cummings. I thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for the leaping greenly spirits of trees and blue true dream of sky, and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. I, who have died, am alive again today, and this is the sun's birthday, this is the birthday of life and love and wings and of the gay great happening, illimitably earth. How should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being, doubt unimaginable you? Now the ears of my ears awake. Now the eyes of my eyes are opened. Oh, I just love this poem. It's one that's so useful to have kind of tucked away in your memory for moments when you encounter a particularly wonderful day. I always find that something I love about poetry is that important moments in life call for important words to honor them. And I don't always have those words just kind of on access um, within me as a person. And so being able to draw on poetry, on scripture, on songs that can kind of give weightiness or honor to moments, uh, has been part of why I love literature literature and poetry. And um, this is one of those poems that's helped me honor many a beautiful day. Um, I have to tell you the story of where I first heard it because it's, it's a delight to me to remember. I first read this when I was doing a course uh, with, with my now advisor, but back then he was just one of my professors, during my masters. And it was like today, a beautiful spring day in the spring term. And it was a course on religion and literature and the overlap between theology and the arts. And it was a glorious day. And so my excellent professor decided that we had to have um, our class outside. And being um, the secretive man that he is, he had access to a secret garden. So he took me and my cohort to this beautiful secret garden and he brought um, little pettifores, so those little cakes, you know, that are like little perfect squares and are usually decorated in our strawberry and chocolate and everything. And we had our class in, in that lovely little secret garden eating pettifores and he had us read out loud all of these poems about nature and about how, be- how the beauty of the world um, communicates something to us about the divine and that interaction between what nature reveals to us and how it pulls us closer to God. And so that's where I first heard this poem was reading it aloud in that beautiful garden, eating pedophores and feeling very distinctly um, that it was true, that God should be thanked for most this amazing day. I think that at the heart of it, this poem is about the sheer gift of existence and how beauty and nature awakens us or makes us alive and attentive and attuned to that gift. Um, the thing that I love about it is that at the heart of it, it is a, it's a a—it's prayer, right? It begins with, I thank you, God. So it's, it's opening itself up to God. It's this turning from the great glory and delight of nature um, and naturally, kind of directing that towards God. I love there's a there's a song by Andrew Peterson where he talks about all these beautiful things in the world, and he says, "Don't you want to thank someone? Don't you want to thank someone for this?" And I think there's this natural kind of movement when we encounter the beauty of nature that draws us towards thanksgiving. And so at the heart of it, this poem is is a prayer in in layman's terms. It's a prayer in simple language, and that prayer is a, th- is a thanksgiving for just the, as he puts at the end of the first stanza, the yes of, natural, of the natural world, the yes of creation. My favorite line in this poem is, how should tasting, touching, hearing, seeing, breathing, any, and this is dashed, lifted from the know of all nothing, human merely being doubt unimaginable you. And what I love about this is he's making a a clever little pun on, of course, the phrase um, a human being, that that's what we are. We're human being. But he's making a pun and saying that how could a human merely being, doing all of these things, tasting, touching, feeling, seeing, not be aware of of the God who gave us that ability, of the God who brought about this being that we find ourselves um, wrapped in. And I think it's really natural and beautiful that his exaltation and the beauty of creation leads him to this thanksgiving for the sheer gift of existence. Um, and I love that he puts in also that kind of um, contradiction between how, how could we ever doubt you, but then he calls us that unimaginable you, that source of all of this being. And so I think this poem is... A sheer jolt of joy and thanksgiving at seeing the beauty of creation, that makes us awake to the fact that just existing, just being humans, merely being, is this is this miraculous thing. Um, why are we in this world? Why do we exist rather than not existing? These are the questions that go unanswered in our lives, but are kind of the foundation of of who we are, and and so. E.E. E. Cummings kind of argues that that nature and creation and the beauty and joy of um, of an amazing day kind of awakens us to that reality. It awakens us to the sheer gift of existence. It's funny, isn't it, how poems or songs can come become kind of arbitrarily tied to particular times or um landscapes in our mind and this one for me is tied to the huge yellow fields of rapeseed in Scotland. Um, Rapeseed is or what we would call canola I guess in the the States is this bright yellow flower that makes up kind of for vegetable oil so you can use it for cooking and frying things and it is one of the crops that's most popularly um, grown in Scotland and in northern England and I have this very distinct memory of the year that my niece was born, so in 2017, of taking the train back and forth from Scotland to Oxford uh, numerous times. And on one of those train trips, I decided to memorize this poem. And so I was memorizing it line by line, saying it over and over again. It's about a seven hour train ride, so there's plenty of time to do it. And as I was memorizing it, I would look out and you would see these highlighter yellow, Um, blankets of of these yellow blossoms from the rapeseed fields. And it just felt so wonderful to have Cummings' words of, I thank you God for most this amazing day. Because it felt like that jolt of joy that I got as I saw these incredible fields stretching um, for miles. You can see them from miles away. Uh, It gave me words for that jolt of joy that reminded me of the gift of existence. And it's been really fun even now as I take my daily walk. Uh, to see that when I walk along the coast of the sea, I can see, literally from miles away, those yellow uh, fields overhead. Also, I just watched a lovely little swallow fly overhead um, just now. And so I will always associate this poem with those beautiful yellow fields. And I highly recommend it as a good poem, worth having, so that you can exult in beautiful moments appropriately. So the next poem that we're going to read is by Gerard Manley Hopkins, and if you've listened to my podcast for very long, you know that he is a dear poet to my soul. And um, he is one who kind of exists in two modes, either of complete uh, jubilant exultation or deep, dark, depressed sadness, uh, both of which I can identify with. So if you need some, some consolation through catharsis, go read some of his terrible sonnets and and I'm not I'm not being uh, I'm not making a value judgment nor am I making this up there's literally a series of sonnets by him called the terrible sonnets Um, but today of course we're going to focus on his joyful and jubilant poetry some of the more popular ones you might know of him are um, God's grandeur so the world is charged with the grandeur of God it will flame out like shining from shook foil and I've talked about that in several of my other episodes Um, But he's also known for Pied Beauty and various things. But I found this, I think I rediscovered this poem recently and was so delighted because it's not only a poem about spring, but about May in particular. And uh, a, a background of kind of why this poem comes to be is that traditionally, since about um, the Middle Ages, since medieval Europe, May has been associated with Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's been kind of a a month devoted to her and to thinking about her. And, um, And Gerard Manley Hopkins in this poem is saying, why do we associate May with Mary? And so this is called the May Magnificat. The Magnificat, of course, being a reference to Mary's song of praise after the Annunciation. So this is the May Magnificat by Gerard Manley-Hopkins. May is Mary's month, and I muse at that and wonder why. Her feasts follow reason, dated due to season, candlement, Lady's Day, but the Lady Month, May, why fasten that upon her with a feasting in her honour? Is it only its being brighter than most are must delight her? Is it opportunist and flowers find soonest? Ask of her the mighty mother. Her reply puts this other question. What is spring? Growth in everything. Flesh and fleece, fur and feather, grass and green world all together, starry-eyed strawberry-breasted, throstle above her nested cluster of bugle-blue eggs, thin forms and warms the life within and bird and blossom swell in sod or sheath or shell, all things rising, all things sizing, Mary sees sympathizing with that world of good, nature's motherhood. Their magnifying of each its kind, with delight calls to mind how she did in her stored, magnify the Lord. Well, but there was more than this, spring's universal bliss, much had much to say to offering Mary May, when drop of blood and foam dapple bloom lights the orchard apple, and thicket and thorp are merry with silver surfed cherry, and azuring over gray bell makes wood banks and brakes wash wet like lakes, and magic cuckoo call caps clears and clenches all this ecstasy all through mothering earth, tells Mary her mirth till Christ's birth to remember and exaltation in God, who was her salvation. Now I need to pat myself on the back and give myself a reward because that is quite a tongue twister to get through. Um, but I find it so lovely and delightful. So of course, kind of the structure of the poem is him asking this question of why does May belong to Mary? Um, you know, there's other seasons that seem to make more sense. Uh, when you think about the Annunciation or, or Christmas, when it's when we think about Christ bearing, uh, being born by Mary, but why May? And as he asks this question, then Mary turns the question back around to him, and he says, and she she kind of invites him to look at May, and in a typical fashion for Gerard Manley Hopkins, um, he throws himself into this kind of um, springtime ekphrasis. Ekphrasis is a word that means um, trying to paint pictures with your words. It was a practice by the ancient Greece, ekphrasis, ekphrasis um, where you would, you would try to paint a picture with your words. And he does this. He kind of goes in this dizzying, um, pouring forth of the images of May. And some of them are just so delightful, um, where he talks about um, grass and green world all together, starry-eyed, strawberry-breasted, throstle about her nested. So he's kind of pulling together all these images of birds nesting and blossoms and green kind of bursting. And um, I love the phrase where he says, Mary sees sympathizing with that world of good, nature's motherhood. So you kind of have this picture of, of Mary looking at nature as this mother when you have in springtime in May, this kind of swelling. I used to remember when I was younger. For some reason, I always thought that really full. When you see those those trees full of blossoms, it reminded me of pregnant mothers because they're full of life. And that's kind of what he's what he's saying. He's Mary is looking at creation and seeing it as bursting with life, and um, that this was this is like Mary because Mary, of course, is the one who bore Christ within her, who bore her salvation within her, the life of all the world. And so when Mary looks at bursting springtime, um, she, she sympathizes with nature. I love that he uses that word. She sympathizes with its bursting full of life because she was once bursting full of life. There's this wonderful kind of um, strain in theology of talking about Mary as the proto-disciple. Because if you think about what it is to be a Christian, it's to be one who opens your whole being to God, to receive Christ within you, And then because of Christ being within you, bearing his life and his image to the world. And we often think of that in Christ's ministry, right? That we see the disciples, um, his apostles, and the women that followed him accepting him, bearing his image to the world. But who was the first person to bear Christ, to, with her whole will, say yes to him and then bear life into the world? That was Mary. And so she was this person who was literally filled with Christ. She was filled with the actual body of Christ. Um, with that life which become the life for the world and so when we look at um at nature i'll pause can you hear the bell ringing that's our um that's marking two o'clock i believe um when we look at nature and we see it bursting with life we should think of mary who was who was the person who was bursting with the life that would be life for the world and and so that is why he lands on may being mary's month because it is the month when in nature we see that promise of eternal life, and that there's this relationship between the womb, the life-giving womb, full of Christ and Mary, and the life-giving uh, season of spring that testifies to that eternal springtime. I love it in, um, in C.S. Lewis, he talks about springtime will come true in his poem lines written in early spring, the idea that we long for a springtime whose new life, whose resurrection can last um, for eternity. And that's kind of what we see testified to in spring. It reminds me of um, the May morning that always happens in in Oxford. Um, There's this wonderful tradition that's been happening, I believe, since the 1400s, that on May 1st, on um, the Magdalen Tower Bridge. So Magdalen is one of the colleges within the University of Oxford. And Magdalen has a very famous boys' choir. And um, and the the tower of Magdalen kind of looks, it overlooks all of, all of Oxford, and it's on kind of the main high street. And so on May 1st, the boys' choir uh, sits at the very top of the tower and at sunrise sings over the whole city a hymn to the Eucharist. So it's a hymn to... Um, to communion, to Christ's body being given for us. And it's this, this beautiful hymn that ties in the coming of springtime with this kind of vision of resurrection. That When we look at springtime, and the, my mom always c- calls it the power of returning spring, that even in the depths of winter, when it seems like spring will never come, it always does. And it cannot be defeated by, by anything. So it looks at that natural sign And connects it to Christ being risen from the dead and um, that in this we see this powerful sign of the resurrection and so they the boys sing this lovely hymn that was written by one of the scholars at Modlin College and it plays over the whole city as they um, as as the morning wakes up and of course now it's such an old tradition 600 years old that Most of Oxford comes and congregates in High Street, so you have to get up at around 4.30 because the the sunrise is usually around 5.15 or so, and everybody gathers in the the streets and it's full of um, students, many of whom are in some various forms of inebriation, bless them, and you all stand there and the choir sings over the whole city, this blessing of the city, this blessing of springtime, this hymn to Christ. And that's what these—that's—that really reminds me of this poem, that in the natural world we see this sign and this connection uh, to the hope that's found in Christianity. They're connected; that that they belong together. So I would say that overall, um, I love that Mary and I get to share a month; that we get to share the month of Resurrection and springtime and life, and that um, it gives me something to live up to, that I want to live up to the proto-disciple, that I want to be like Mary, uh, to bear that springtime, life-giving, eternal life within me. And this leads me to my final poem for today, um, another poem of of Happy Exaltation by the American poet Billy Collins. Um, So let me read this to you. It's called Today by Billy Collins. If ever there were a spring day so perfect, so uplifted by a warm, intermittent breeze, that it made you want to throw open all the windows in the house and unlatch the door to the canary's cage, and Deeb ripped the little door from its jamb, a day when cool brick paths in the garden bursting with peonies seemed so etched in sunlight that you felt like taking a hammer to the glass paperweight in the living room end table, releasing the inhabitants from their snow-covered cottage so they could walk out, holding hands and squinting into this large dome of blue and white. Well, today is just that kind of day. I just love the destructive joyfulness of this poem. I think we can all identify with that feeling of a day so perfect that it makes you want to throw open all the windows, um, and the reason I call it this kind of destructive joy, joy is that he, he, it makes him want to throw open the windows, break the 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 door on the bird cage, and smash this um, the snow globe. If there's this sense of it being so beautiful that it makes you want to throw open things, to exceed, to transcend. Uh, whatever life that you feel caught and trapped in by. And I chose this poem because I know that at this phase, so many of us must be feeling that way as, as we've been staying inside. I've done my calculations and I have now officially stayed inside for what will be a sixth of the year so far. And so I firmly and fully identify with that desire to escape, um, for the beauty in spring, for the joy of it, that it, that it gives you this sense of freedom of wanting to, to break and destroy any barrier that would keep you from this great um, encounter with the world. This way that beauty connects us to freedom. But the thing that I think is so interesting is how he connects at the end this snow globe um, with our own dome. So he says that he wants to take a hammer to the glass paperweight on the living room table and release the inhabitants so they could walk out holding hands and squinting into this large dome of blue and white. And the thing that strikes me about that is that there, there comes this moment where there's almost a confusion, where you think to yourself, is he talking about the inhabitants of the snow globe? Or is he now talking about himself with someone that he loves? Um, is it the snow globe inhabitants that are looking up at the dome of blue and white, just like their own little dome of blue and white in their snow globe, or is it him? You get this sense that he wants the people in the snow globe to be free. But then why are the people in the snow globe very different from us looking up at our own dome, right? A dome, of course, being kind of a circular something stretching out overhead ahead of us. And that's exactly what the little people in the snow globe have. They have something circular um, overhead of them. And so there's this this sense that beauty makes us want to get through, get beyond um, itself. And I think that there's actually a really profound statement about beauty in that, and the beauty in nature, which is that beauty always seems to gesture beyond itself. Whatever beauty stirs up in our hearts is this kind of deep desire that pulls us into beauty, into nature itself, but then beyond itself to its source. Even if um, if Billy Collins succeeds in releasing the people from their little snow globe, then they'll find themselves looking at our own beautiful dorm dome and wanting to be pulled beyond it into something even deeper. But I think that ties well back into the first poem that we began with, because encountering beauty unearths this desire, pulls us beyond itself and puts us in this attitude of gratefulness because we have this sense that echoing behind all of the glory of creation is a hand that has fashioned this world for beauty, a hand that has made everything so beautiful. And so just like Billy Collins, may we find in ourselves that destructive joy that makes us want to break through everything to get close to the heart of that pulsating loveliness of springtime. And friends, that is where I will leave you today. I cannot encourage you enough to go out into the springtime to experience the freedom of the loveliness of nature, even as we find ourselves um, kind of locked indoors. I also heartily encourage you to go look up the Hymnus Eucharisticus, uh, which is the Latin for a hymn to the Eucharist. You could probably also Google that. Uh, maudlin boys choir oxford go look it up there's very few mp3s of it um oddly i have searched and neither for love nor money can i manage to find an mp3 of it on itunes so go and watch um the one of the videos from past years or there was a lovely virtual version of it this year so friends i truly hope you will experience the freedom the um violently joyful uh jubilation that comes with this glorious springtime May weather and that you will be blessed and find peace in this strange season. Much love and I look forward to having you here next week on Speaking with Joy.